Hey everyone, this is your host Marissa. Hope everyone is enjoying our newest Lady with Lions so far. Don't forget to press the subscribe button wherever you're listening to your podcast so you can get updates on new episodes. Also, if you love hearing the stories of these amazing women like our next guest, please jump to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It would be greatly appreciated. All right, enough promotional stuff. We are here to talk about this week's episode with Colleen Adams. Colleen is a zookeeper in the interpretive department at the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Garden. She cares for roughly 145 of the zoo's ambassador animals that range from birds to reptiles, mammals, and amphibians. Colleen's favorite part of being a zookeeper is forming relationships with the animals, especially her anteaters. When she is not at the zoo training or cleaning, she is probably trying new foods, hanging out with her family, or hiking with her dogs. To follow the awesome life of Colleen and to see the adorable and fun animals she cares for every day, follow her on Instagram and TikTok at Zookeeper Colleen. If you enjoy hearing an interview about zookeeping, you can also check out the Ross Safari podcast. The podcast is all about the people who work in the animal care and conservation field. She has two episodes on there as well. You can also check out the Cincinnati Zoo podcast to hear more Cincinnati Zoo stories from other staff. What a fun time I had talking to Colleen. We talk about being one of nine and being homeschooled, following your dreams, animal learning, and the unconditional love for animals. And then we go into other non-animal related topics like the pressures of being the oldest, why we make excuses for being emotional, and a fun topic which I can also relate to was being a huge foodie. One part of the interview I want to highlight was her answer to what's her favorite thing about her job. And her answer was so genuine and so touching. You'll just have to listen to find out. Colleen and I ended up talking for another hour after the interview was over. She is genuinely just an awesome person. And I know you'll agree with me. Now, with that said, let's get this episode started. So tell me, Colleen, how did you get into zookeeping? Yeah, it was quite a long road. I went to, well, I was homeschooled first. And so being homeschooled meant that I got to choose a lot of what I wanted to learn about. My mom was really amazing at, you know, she knew I was passionate about animals. So she's like, okay, for science, we're going to like hit the animals really hard. A lot of biology, a lot of ecology, things like that. And then when it was time for high school, same thing, we focused in even further and I took some chemistry and things to like really prepare myself for some sort of, you know, science degree. And I wasn't sure if I actually wanted to go the teaching route or the zookeeper route because I'm really passionate about educating people. And so I went to a college visit at Malone University and they have a zoo and wildlife biology program. So they actually have a zoo on campus and I was going to be able to learn how to be a zookeeper while I was going to school. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I met my advisor, Dr. Carmichael, and had lunch with him. And I was sold from our conversation, hearing his background about being a zookeeper and also educating people. I was like, I literally want what this man has. So signed up, um, went to Malone University for zoo and wildlife biology, and my minor is in psychology, and did some internships while I was at college for wildlife rehab sanctuary and exotic uh, rehab sanctuary. I worked at vet offices, all sorts of things like that. Did an internship at the Detroit Zoo. And then I worked at a farm that rescues abandoned farm animals and exotics. 
in Ohio and um, I worked at the Akron Zoo for about a year. And then I got my dream job here at the Cincinnati Zoo about six years ago. Actually, my six year anniversary is next month. Yeah, it's really exciting. So my dream job is working with the ambassador animals, which means the animals that are used for education. So animals that people can get up close and personal with, form a connection with, maybe have fly to their hand or touch them or whatever it is. Those are those animals. You might see me on the news or on a stage sometimes, kind of all over the place, as long as it's connecting with people. So I didn't have to choose between teaching and zookeeping. I get to do both every single day. And that's how I got to where I am. So you're one of like nine or 10 children. Yes. (laughs) Wow. So your mom used zoos and, you know, wildlife essentially as part of your curriculum, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Does it have anything or correlating anything to do with being one of a dozen children? Like, is there any correlation with that? Were you close with your family? Oh, I was, I'm super close with my family, extremely close with my family. And yes, I'm the oldest of 10 kids uh, in the Lawrence household. Some people call us the Lawrence clan because there's just so many of us. I always tell people my mom actually loves animals more than I do. Probably she just chose to be a mom and I chose to be a zookeeper. And that's what's different about, you know, our paths, but yeah, I am close to my family and everyone always referred to us as a zoo. So I guess there's a correlation there. I mean, living with that many kids every day was like the chaos that I deal with at work. So maybe just my childhood prepared me for a career as a zookeeper and all the chaos that it entails. You and I actually have a couple of things similar. So you brought back some pretty big flashbacks for me. So my father had since the beginning of what I can even remember has donated parts of his paycheck to the Wildlife Conservation Society. So every year we take a trip to the Bronx Zoo. So I'm from Long Island. So um, that was something that we do. And then also my dad would donate and be a part of the Bat Conservation Society. So he would donate, would get bat magazines. And then every time it was in elementary school, it was like the bat curriculum. I'd be like, oh, my dad's part of the Conservation Society. And I'd bring in like magazines or he'd bring in stuff for my teachers for part of the curriculum and things like that. We get little, you know, like the bat keychains as a thank you and things like that. So did not, I did not do anything with animals as a career, but I completely understand the love for animals in your family. One time I, I don't remember exactly where I was. I, you know, when you're just younger and you're just like the beginning of testing your family, like testing your parents and stuff like that. So my, my, we never, ever, ever heard a creature ever. Like I, I saw, did some research on you and you're like, Oh, we have to take the critters outside the window. Right. So you're on my pillow out the door. Exactly. Exactly. But one time and I, it, it was honestly just to, at the time, like test boundaries with my parents. I had to have been maybe third grade or fourth grade, you know, like back then. And we saw a ladybug outside and I don't even know if it was like dinner yet. And my dad's like, don't step on that ladybug. And I stepped on it and I went, boom, fast like like you're in bed like do not open this door tonight and I remember that like don't do that to creatures voluntarily and that sh- was been ingrained for my entire life about treating animals as you would want to be treated and love for them and things like that our wi-fi at my parents house it's actually called the animal house is oh my goodness there's a lot of creatures or there were a lot of many animals at my parents house. so I completely resonate with that 
going a little bit different, but so you're the oldest of nine and 10 going a little off track, but did you feel there was like pressure as the oldest kid to show or do or guide or anything like that? Yeah. Immense pressure actually, but not pressure from my mom. My mom is a rock star, superhero, jack of all trades. Shout out to my mom always. So it wasn't pressure from her by any means, but my mom was actually a single mom. At a certain point in my childhood, my dad left. So it was just my mom taking care of all of us. And though she legally has 10 kids, I sometimes hesitate to say that I have nine brothers and sisters because I actually have so many other brothers and sisters that my mom raised. And I kind of never knew who was going to be in or out of the house at any given time. And being the oldest, I did feel an extreme sense of responsibility to look out for my siblings. Um, If my mom had to be away for any reason or when she had to start going back to work after my dad left, I helped hold down the house a lot. Certain summers when I was between temporary positions at different zoos bouncing around, I would come home and help run the house a little bit, do the grocery shopping, that kind of thing. I'm extremely close to all of my siblings. So they're constantly still even calling me, you know, to get advice or help on things. One of my brothers or two of my brothers are moving in soon (laughs) to live with me for a little while. Rides to soccer practice and football practice and things like that. I just, I was the first one to hit a lot of milestones. So I could speak to a lot of what they were feeling. My mom got to practice a lot of parenting on me. So luckily we have a really amazing relationship and we have my entire life. So I was able to be pretty forgiving uh, when things didn't seem so fair. And why did they not get the same punishment that I did? But yeah, I I had to step in a lot. And um, two of my younger sisters have sickle cell anemia. So my mom was with them in the hospital a lot. And so I'd have to kind of just like take care of of the house. But I will say my siblings are very mature and a lot of them are like amazingly wise and self-sufficient. And my mom raised us up real, real good. So it never felt like pressure or a ton of work. I really loved it. I loved being the oldest. I love being the oldest and uh, looking out for my siblings like that. But there was definitely a lot of conflict. Like I'm six years older than my twin sisters. So it okay. didn't take me until a really, really long time, even into my twenties to, to accidentally be like, I want to teach them something without telling them if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So mm-hmm. even to this day, like part of this podcast is like, haven't even really talked to them about it yet, but I've been reflecting recently on why I'm doing this and what it means to me and things like that. And one of the things is like, I wanted, I said something to my sister, one of them recently, and was like, you know, stay, be present for today, but stay hungry for tomorrow. And to show them that kind of push your own boundaries. I don't want them to ever, I mean, it's fine if they do, but be complacent because they have so much opportunity, you know, and strength within themselves to go beyond what they even thought possible. I love that. I kind of have to make up for also being a brat for like the first seven years of their life. So (laughs) I have a lot of making up to do. I'm not saying I was just this loving, amazing big sister. Also, sometimes, you know, I made my share of mistakes and my siblings would go, thank you for showing us what not to do because it really didn't work out for you. (laughs) So you minored in psychology, but was it animal learning? 
Mostly, yeah. So it was a partnership actually between the zoo and wildlife biology department and the psychology department. They figured out how to kind of overlap the coursework to where all I had to do was take four additional psychology classes in order to get my minor. I didn't actually have to go take, you know, a colossal amount of other classes to get that minor. And because so many of the zoo bio students did that, the professor would have classes that were just Zubio students. So she would take the same content because learning is learning, no matter who's learning, if it's a slug or a person. <laughs> I don't know why slug is what, what I went to, but so she would take that content and she would help us be able to apply it to animals and animal training because we talked a lot about, you know, learning and, and how we learn and how we take in information. And I took a class called Sensations and Perceptions, literally about the five senses and then about the fact that animals have, some animals have more senses than we do. And so we talked about that and operant conditioning is a humongous part of what I do. So training animals using positive reinforcement. And I got all my basis of that knowledge in my psychology classes for my minor. So it was incredibly valuable. I, so I watched the zoo and I never really knew about conservation society or like, I, I, that's one thing about me, especially younger. Like I was just trying to like be comfortable with who I was and like only what was in front of me is what I understood, which I really kick myself today. Cause now as an adult, I'm insanely curious and stimulated by learning. And, you know, so I'm watching the zoo completely like mind blown around what is actually the work that you're putting, you know, you put into it and things like that. It's incredible. Animals get like attached to people, especially if they're born at the zoo and they recognize faces like, like Fiona, the, the hippo at your zoo, who I felt madly in love with. She's the cutest <laughs> thing on the planet. You know, she recognizes you and your coworkers and it's like people, I don't know. I think we need to educate more people on animal senses or humanity. I don't know. I don't know. What's the term for that? Animals ability. I think people put them in boxes and animals are so much smarter than we ever give them credit for more intelligent, more important, really just more animals are more than we realize. That's why I do my job, right? That's why I became an education keeper is so I could literally take out an animal and go, okay, the snake that you think is scary, let me show you that it's not. This bird that you might think is just a bird, all birds do is fly. Let me show you how my bird now just learned to ring a bell yesterday. Those kinds of things. And I open their eyes up to the potential that animals have if only we take our ego out of it and we realize that, you know, sure, we might be the most intelligent beings on the planet, but it doesn't mean that they don't know a whole lot more than we give them credit for. I'm curious. So you are learning things about slugs <laughs> and you're learning things about animals from a psychology sense. What is one thing that you learned that blew your mind? Something that I learned that blew my mind about animals in general about or about animals learning? Animals learning. Okay. So something that blew my mind about animals learning is that behavior is a study of one to quote my favorite professor and thinker and scientist ever. She's a behaviorist, Dr. Susan Friedman. She always talks about behavior as a study of one. And what she means by that is every individual on the planet learns differently, behaves differently. And it reminds me every day not to put things 
to put those animals into a box. And so when I started training animals, I would have three of the same species and I would try to train them all the same way to do the same behavior. And it never works. You can fall back on some of the same training plans, but I have say two bat-eared foxes. I really do have two bat-eared foxes. And one of them is extremely confident and picks up things really quickly and she eats out of my hand and I could go on and on. Her name's Frankie. And then I have Otis, who is the same age, bat-eared fox, but just because his upbringing is a little bit different, his trust looks different. He'd prefer to eat off a plate rather than my hand, all these different things. So I can't train them both to sit in the exact same manner. It doesn't just go across the whole board for all foxes. Behavior and learning is so specific to an individual, just like it's specific to every individual child in a school that needs their own plans and their own attention. It is that specific down to every animal. I bet even every slug learns differently. And I seriously don't know why I mentioned slugs earlier. I'm still laughing about that. No, it's, it's funny because I cry. I make this joke sometimes to people that I totally took from um, going into a Toastmasters class and this guy, the, the head of the, the Toastmasters, and for anyone who doesn't know what Toastmasters is, there are local chapters, I think throughout the whole United States, where um, it teaches you how to present in front of an audience and storytelling and things like that. I definitely think there's chapters all over. Good thing you don't have a fact check on this podcast because I, I did get destroyed, but um, Google it because I know there are chapters out there. So the guy's like, yeah, you don't want to be presenting where it's so boring, where someone goes, and now the habits of a garden snail. And like, so I think that's <laughs> hilarious. And I literally was like, slug in their learning, in their comprehension. <laughs> I did not take his advice. <laughs> no, but you say it eloquently. So you could okay. actually put in any, what he's saying is you don't want to be as monotone right. as something like that. No, right. so I totally, uh, I'm going to continue to use my joke and I'm not even going to feel bad. So do not, do not feel bad about using a slug analysis. I will not at all. Oh, that's great. And I actually was writing down while you were talking that this, exactly what you said is that's exactly like humans we have a different influence we have a different upbringing so the same experiences of how you're going to learn something or digest some type of information you know introverts extroverts it's going to be different based on the person and I think I think that's really cool what is your favorite thing about what you do my very favorite thing about what I do you actually mentioned it already Ooh, um, what is it when you started talking about how animals can form bonds with people and they recognize people walking into one of my buildings and knowing that all of the animals know that it's me well not all of them I guess some of them do know that it's me and the positive reactions and the excitement that I get like there's no better feeling in the world except being able to use that relationship to take that animal out and connect them with a guest who then also gets to feel the way that I felt. So I mentioned on the Ross Safari po podcast when I did an episode over there that I love facilitating the moments between guests and one of my animals who I have a relationship with because in like for a moment, you become that animal's whole world because all their focus is on you and getting to be the one that forges those connections I can't, I couldn't put a price on it. 
sometimes I get emotional when I talk about it um, because the lasting impact that has, right? It could be as simple as making someone's day or it could be as impactful as then they wanna go out and do something for conservation on their own or it sparks some sort of interest. I might um, inspire a young child to become a zookeeper all because I formed a bond with an animal and they trust me so much, they allow me to present them that way and to, and to use them to educate people. So that's my favorite thing. I'm gonna ask a harsh question. Okay. But I'm, I wouldn't care if someone asked it to me, if I'm gonna ask it to you. Do you okay. like animals more than people? Because um, I sure as hell would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I do like animals more than people. They're really forgiving. They're, the, the love is so unconditional. It is right. Like is. I have her and I, I didn't know when I, I know that she's a dog and she's a domestic animal, but the bond that you're talking about and what I've only seen on TV and what I've heard, you know, you've spoke about and everything like that. I can, I can totally understand it. So domesticated with her, when I got her, I had no idea as my first dog alone, my mom and I went and got her. My mom left, went back home. I lived three and a half hours away from my hometown where my parents still live. And then it was just her and I, I had this moment of like flooding, like throat panic. Like, oh my God, I never need, I, I just thought she was going to be a dog. Like, this is the love of my life. Like one day, like, I know this sounds morbid, but like, like, I'm not going to have her in my life forever. Like I like, couldn't understand it. It was just told like the door said, and we're just staring at each other. And she mm -hmm. just like licks me or like gets on my thing for the, like on my chest for the first time. I'm like, I never knew the energy, like when they say dog's best friend or like animal's best friend, could not put that in words when it's just you two staring at mm -hmm. each other. So that unconditional love, I can't even like, especially being around them all the time that solidifies unconditional love. Right. I feel like I don't need more friends. I want, <laughs> I'm just going to stay with them, you know, forever. So I did have to, I did have to ask, cause that's what I, I would say yes to that. If someone asked me. Yeah. Yeah. Animals, they're just, they're like, you're saying they're so they're forgiving and they love unconditionally and they're wonderful. And they teach me every day and they bring me new adventures every day. And I was going to say, they don't talk back, but that is completely not true animals <laughs> talk yeah I'm sassy animals so you can so we always talk about having a trust bank with our animals and you, you do with people as well and every time you know you do something positive you make a deposit in your trust bank and then every time you have to maybe give some sort of constructive criticism that someone doesn't take well or you have to challenge someone or hold them accountable or you've got to grab up a bird so that you can cut its talons, things like that, you're taking withdrawals. So it's just always more, it's important that we make sure that we have a good enough balance in our trust mate to be able to, you know, take from it. And animals, they let you deposit into their trust banks all day long. Sometimes it's as simple as I just fed that bird a little piece of banana every day for a week. Now I can grab it up to trim its nails or its talons. And the next day, it's still going to step right up onto my hand and eat that banana because the trust bank can sometimes be so easy to pour into um, if you're starting from a clean slate. Obviously, there, you know, past always is a factor um, in things. But, you know, when I'm raising something from very young, it doesn't know anything other than those interactions that I'm having with it. So the forgiveness I get from animals, selfishly, it just makes me feel really good. <laughs> it's not selfish at all. I don't think that. I don't think that at all. I think it's, you know, there's probably a lot of awesome reflection 
that yeah. you do, you know, and I'm an emotional person. Like I'll go for a run and manifest and like tears will come down. So you saying sometimes that you can get emotional about it. It's like, no, I, I think it's real and I think it's present. And I don't know, I, I say endure that for sure. I don't know why we always have to like apologize for having emotions. It's taken right. me, it took me up until last year, about two years ago to be like, why am I apologizing for crying? Like, this is, this is ridiculous. Right. You know? it's, it's emotions falling out of your face. That's fine. Yeah. Emotions are coming out your face. Right. I think it's because it used to be like, don't cry. Don't cry. It's like, well now, no, why do I have to apologize for an emotion or you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or like if even in movies, when people are crying, when a, a bride's coming down the aisle and there's someone with a tissue rolling their eyes, I'm like, no, we're not, we're not doing that anymore. We're not, we're, we can't, we have to be very forgiving on our emotions like that. You know, obviously if you're not hurting anyone's feelings and stuff, but like, fuck that. I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. Well, actually, I mean, and it's really dangerous for zookeepers when you stop having those emotions because then there are red flags about am I starting to get burnout am I getting compassion fatigue if you start if you realize you're starting to feel apathetic when you need to be feeling empathetic or sympathetic um, you've got to be really careful about those red flags and sometimes we will recognize it in each other and we'll challenge each other or sometimes you recognize it in yourself as that red flag and you have to take some sort of a step back there are a lot of zookeepers that are in therapy and counseling. There are zookeepers that have to take a step away, make career changes, all sorts of things, because I mean, the animals die. That's the hard truth. They do. They get sick. Um, you can't save them. And sometimes we do our best. And sometimes we do. I actually lost two animals this week. So it's been a really, really emotional week, but it is incredibly important that I just let the tears fall out of my face in those moments. And that I grieve, especially because we usually have about 15 minutes before we've got to go feed the next animal because they have no idea that anything happened. So yeah, no apologizing for crying, no apologizing for having emotion. It gets us through these hard times and it can be an indicator of mental health, I think. No, you know what? Honestly, being someone who's on the outside, I never thought of it like that. And I'm really sorry you had a hard week. That that sucks. Yeah. So uh, well, know that you have a cheerleader here that truly appreciates what you do. So, you know, I commend you because I couldn't do what you do. I make, I'm like such a softie now for animals too. Like, I, this is so, it's not stupid, but it's a little embarrassing to share. But like, even if I see like a small squirrel, I'll make like, oh you're the cutest little thing I'll see in my life like I make like these little cartoon things and I forget uh-huh. like people are around they're like yeah I'm like wow ah, what are you gonna do yeah. except Colleen there's a squirrel obesity problem in this area because they are is the size of dogs like these squirrels I don't know where they're getting their food but they're they have they have an obesity problem and we I don't know what's going on. I'm like don't you climb like oh my gosh real. they're so bad we have <laughs> um we have fat squirrels too right because they they have all the food they could ever want and no predators unless they wander in the wrong enclosure, but there's funnel cakes galore and chicken nuggets in the trash cans. So the squirrels will come out dragging a whole funnel cake. I'm like, yeah, I see why you're fat. <laughs> so cute. I can't. So like the chipmunks here, they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, you guys are the cutest little things I've seen in my entire life. And I want to squeeze you and you're adorable. But then I get really mad at the squirrels when they make you have, they put a hole in your roof and it takes $1,400 to fix it. That's not cool. I take it that's a real story. Yeah. 
in the yeah. snow. I don't can't even imagine how long I got. I just eventually found it, and I was like, I wonder how long it's actually been like that. So right. thanks, guys. Thanks for nothing. Right. <laughs> you fat squirrels. So, do you work with a lot of people, or do you primarily work with yourself? I work with people all day, every day. If I am not working with guests or kids doing programs, I'm definitely with my coworkers. We are a super close knit group. There are seven of us full-time keepers. We have four seasonals and usually four interns. We have our interns starting actually in two weeks, our next set will start. So there are a lot of us. Um, there are 145 animals on my team, but there are they're spread out among four buildings. So usually you end up in a building with somebody doing a routine with you, and we train all of our animals together. So we have our primary trainer, and then you have your secondary trainer, and then you have the rest of your training team. So when I go fly, say Zulu, my lady Ross is Taraco, which if you go follow me on Instagram, you will see her all over my Instagram. To fly her outside requires three trainers, and then it requires a couple people to uh, help interpret to people what's going on, to help stop traffic, because we fly her outside in the bamboo forest without any equipment, which just means she's not tethered to us in any way. She's totally free-flown, and it takes three of us, because if she were to fly off or something were to happen, we just need to make sure that we've got enough people there who are skilled and she has a relationship with to get her back. So we'll do those things together, vet procedures, like restraining an animal for any sort of reason just takes more than one person. So in our areas, honestly, aren't very big size wise, because yes, we have 145 animals, but I don't have 145 elephants or tigers that have giant yards. I have 145 animals that are small enough for me to take on a program to connect with a guest, right? So we're talking snakes, maybe some arthropods. We're talking small mammals, birds, things like that, that don't take up a crazy amount of, of space. So you're kind of next to somebody else all the time, working an animal or cleaning an animal. 145 ambassador animals? Yep. Wow. So you, all of them go somewhere. Yep. They travel. Wow. What's, what's the, like the bird to mammal ratio or like, it's a, is it a cocktail of all these different that's, things? That's a great question. Um, so out of 145, probably about 50% are reptiles. We have a colossal amount of reptiles. They don't require as intensive care, some of them, some of them are a little bit trickier, but say like our ball pythons, we've got, I think 15 ball pythons and they just don't require a lot. You give them clean water, you check their humidity and you feed them once every two weeks and clean up when they shit. I mean, that's, that's it. So, I want to be able to eat every two weeks because right now every two hours isn't working for me. <laughs> like, no, me either. Yeah. So we've got about 50% uh, reptiles and then the, I don't know, a very small percent would be amphibians and arthropods. We've got a couple toads and frogs and walking sticks, tarantulas, scorpions, things like that. And then of what's remaining, I feel like it's probably about like what's left. I feel like it's probably about 50, 50 mammals and birds. We have a colossal amount of armadillos. And like, one of them is your favorite, right? Or in the armadillo. Oh no, anteater family. Anteater. Okay, I'm going off memory. They're I apologize. No, they're related. So 
you didn't even realize that you were going down the right track. Oh, I was. Okay, because that's my next question is. Yeah, armadillos are, are related. So we've got a ton of those. And then as far as birds go, we've got really a, an amazing range. We've got raptors, which would be, you know, birds like hawks and owls and vultures and things like that. And then we, which unfortunately we don't have a vulture right now, but I am just dying to get a vulture one day. And we have um, rainforest birds. We've got birds from Australia, like tawny frogmouths and kookaburras, which are just phenomenal. Look them up if you aren't sure what I'm talking about, because a kookaburra has the coolest song ever. And then a tawny frogmouth looks like a real life Muppet. So they're fantastic. So we've got like quite a range of taxa. And then who is your favorite? Well, the love of my life would be Isla the Tamandua, which is a lesser anteater, not because they're any less awesome, just because they're smaller in size. You can't tell I've said that a time or two. <laughs> yeah, she's great. Have I seen her walk like on a leash? Yes. 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 Okay. Walking so cute. One of my favorite parts of any day. Um, she goes on a harness and walks on her leash around the zoo and Sometimes she'll stop to eat some bugs or dig in a flower bed and she's spicy and sassy and every day is different. And people are always so amazed by how cute they think she is because they just didn't realize how cute anteaters were until they see her. And they're like, oh my gosh, she's the cutest thing in the world. I'm like, I know, right? But you probably didn't know that before today. And people think of giant anteaters when they think of anteaters. They don't think of these little tamanduas, but they're spectacular. And I really educated myself on the difference because I had no idea what the difference was. But then I took a look and I'm like, her fur looks fake. Like it's so even and shiny. <laughs> like I feel like you can go like this and it'll do like that hair commercial. Like, like listeners, I'm like caressing my arm right now. Like there, that she's kind of got that like really awesome coat that's really, really a little higher than a buzz. I feel like she's yeah. super cute. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, and she almost has like a metallic color. A lot of tamanduas are oddly like metallic and it's amazing. So I would say she's more like silver. That's kind of one of the colors. And yeah, her fur is always perfectly in place, unlike my hair. And I don't understand it though, because she doesn't groom like a normal animal would groom. They can't open their mouths bigger than a pencil. So she can't like groom at her fur the way a dog would or or one of my foxes might do because they'll groom each other with their teeth and everything. She can't do that. She doesn't have teeth. And she also can't bend in the way that she would lick everything off. And her tongue is like a spaghetti noodle. So it's not, it can't lap things up like a cat, but we'll paint with them. We do paintings with our, with a lot of our animals and I'll come in the next day and the paint's gone. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't know where this went. I think that her fur has these abilities to just like maintain itself. And if anything gets on it, she just rubs on branches and things and it all just slides off and it's perfectly in place. It's amazing. You paint with her? Yeah. So did she take it with her tongue and go like this? No. I was like, sorry, is that the most ridiculous? I just don't know what you mean. No, I actually pick her up and like, I put paint on the ground and I pick her up. And I stamp her in the paint and then I stamp her on campus. Oh my God, that's adorable. Yeah. Will, you share, will you send that to me so I can share yeah. it? Okay. Yeah. Oh, so that's so cute. The zoo actually auctions off a lot of their art. We just wrapped one up this past week, but we do a couple every year. 
I've recently found out that if you just use the tail as a stamp, you can make half a heart. So I make half a heart with her tail and half a heart with her boyfriend Salvador's tail. Oh, and so those cute. are pretty spec- spectacular. Aw. I love how your face lights up when you talk about this. I really, really love it. When you say that, you know, you have your dream job, I truly believe you. You know, I, I, I obviously don't think you're bullshit, but like your, your facial expressions and the way that you're talking about this really solidifies what you're saying. And what advice do you have for younger Colleen's in the world chasing their dream job? Take every opportunity and don't let anybody tell you it's a bad dream or a silly dream. I had a lot of people as I was wanting to become a zookeeper tell me you'll never make enough money to sustain yourself. That sounds like a really hard job. I had people calling me a glorified poop scooper. Um, I had people telling me that I was just going to go work in basically a pet store. I had people that didn't believe in zoos in general that really just gave me a hard time that I would want to go attach myself to a zoological society. So if you have a dream, you water it, you cultivate it, and go find people who will support you on that journey and then take opportunities to just like take one step at a time. Cause for me, I never in a million years as young Colleen would have thought that I would end up at one of the most prestigious zoos in the United States, let alone maybe the world. But I took opportunities one after another, 12 years old, volunteered at that office. And I just kept building that and building that. And then suddenly I looked behind me and there was this whole path that I had paved for myself and right in front of me was the Cincinnati zoo. And it was just incredible, but I didn't wait for anybody to give it to me. Right. I just took one step at a time. And just like you were saying earlier about being in the moment, I try to really be in the moment at every one of those steps of the way to really make sure that I was learning what I needed to learn. And I was loving what I needed to love. And I was really getting the most out of the here and now while I waited for the next thing. And then when that wrapped up, I just walked into the next one, carrying the knowledge and experience I had gained from the one before. Oh, I love that. I love it. Outside of being a zookeeper, which is obviously a persona, you talk about it, you live it, you invest a lot of your Colleen life to it, which is amazing, right? It's part of who you are. Do you enjoy doing stuff like outside or do is that what is, is that also part of your hobby? Yeah, that's an amazing question because I actually don't do a ton of animal stuff outside of work down to how I have my house decorated. I literally don't have animal stuff all over my house, which a lot of zookeepers do. There's animal art literally in every nook and cranny. I actually keep all of my animal art, animal gifts, animal, really anything in my guest room. And so it's become like this wonderful display of, you know, all of the things that I love and my animals are but I can close the door when I am trying to be present with my husband or hang out with my dogs or my family's over because I found that if I have that up on the wall everywhere, if I see a picture of Isla, I start thinking about Isla and my Tamandua and I start getting worried about the fact that, okay, maybe she's you know, going to start cycling soon. And should I breed her with Salvador soon? And like, my mind just immediately goes to work. So I have to like literally physically remove it from my site. So I definitely enjoy things outside of zookeeping. I love 
playing games with my family. I love going to see my family. I don't live close to anybody. So my husband and I travel an absolute ton to make sure that we are good aunts and uncles and siblings and, you know, sons and daughters. So we are constantly traveling. I love traveling. So going anywhere to see anything new. And I will visit the local zoo when I travel because usually all I have to do is call someone up and say, Hey, I'm going to be at your zoo. And they're like, sweet, we'll let you meet these 15 animals that you've never met before. And it's just this really cool network. So I do take advantage of that when I travel. And then I love food. Food is like anything related to food is probably, if you asked anybody about me, like aside from animals, what's Colleen's hobby? Food, like cooking it, eating it, exploring new places. We have a Jungle Gym's grocery store here, which is the largest grocery store in the country. And it's like a warehouse of international foods. So I just go buy international stuff and come home and try to make things. And I'm elite on Yelp. So I review restaurants. Like I am just obsessed with food. <laughs> uh, I can't cook for shit, but what I can <laughs> Your do- Your husband can. Yes, he can. And we're very, very grateful for that. And, but I love going and trying new restaurants. I love them. I'm not very exploratory with my food per se. Like I can't uh-huh. have anything raw. I just okay. can't. We had fishes grow. Like, there's still fish tanks in my parents' house. You know, just, there's, I just, and there's psychology behind not being able to eat with the animal shape. Like that is me. It's just not, it's just not what I can do. For um, sure. Everything else. Like I do like to explore new places, ambiances. So and yeah. I'm the person who looks at Yelp and, you know, the best reviews and, and things like that. To me, an ambiance totally count. Sometimes the food can be like a seven out of 10, but if the ambiance is a nine out of 10, it just makes it taste better. I don't know yep. if you agree with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the things we have to comment on, on Yelp. We have to like talk a lot about the establishment itself and how did you feel being there and how did it look to you? And what was your impression when you walked in and was it warm? Was it welcoming? Was it really cool? Was it really unique? Like, what's the art like? We, we talk a lot about that because it totally makes an experience. There's obviously a place for hole in the walls too, though, you know, when we're talking about good quality food, but yeah, I mean, tried a new restaurant the other day. It was, it was a swanky Greek place called Octo and there's a giant octopus mural on the wall and all the decor was royal blue and white. It was amazing. Like I, I just walked food. in and The server was wearing royal blue and white plaid pants that matched the decor. And I was like, I feel like I made a movie. I actually don't even know if I care what the food tastes like. And I'm foodie. So yes, I I agree completely. It gets me so excited. (laughs) No, I love it. What's your favorite place to recommend if anyone's in your area? Yeah, my favorite place to recommend is actually, it's funny that you don't like raw food because it's a sushi restaurant. It's called Dancing Roll. And it's because they have half price sushi all the time, dine in, carry out. It's got a nice ambiance in there and the quality is great. And I've never found better price sushi in my life. So that would be probably the number one place that you usually tell people to go to. And then like, there's a really cool bubble tea place next door and I love bubble tea. So I don't think I've had it. I, maybe I've had it. I didn't realize I had it. I don't think I did. You probably remember. No, yeah, there's nowhere like around here. If I do, I have to go out of my way. Uh-huh. And I'm like, not, you know what I mean? I don't think of it that, I don't think yeah, like that. Right. I'm more like, where's the French fries more than where's the bubble tea? I do love French fries. <laughs> oh my God, I, that's my biggest weakness. 
is it is really french fries oh my god but i then have to have it with ketchup uh-huh even when i'm on my way like let's say i'm in mcdonald's drive through and like i get because i'm a monster i get fries for the ride <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know if else is like I can't eat my meal on the way home. I have to have my fries for the ride. Oh, absolutely. So, okay, so it's not just me. So I'll grab fries, and I'm like, oh, I really want ketchup with this. Like I'm just doing it to suppress the smell, that McDonald's right. smell, and because I'm salivating, but I'm not actually enjoying it. Right. That sound, no, does that sound right? Do you get that? Uh, so accurate. My nickname in college was the Dip Queen because I couldn't eat anything without dipping it in something. I was so obsessed with every dip sauce. And I mean, my my refrigerator is half sauces right now. Like, legitimately half the space of my refrigerator is sauces. So I've come to love Melinda's. Have you heard of Melinda's? I got it. Mm-hmm. I got it. I never say this right. So. I'll always, I'm the person who's like, I think there's this movie that starts with an H and it's like an M. Like, I'm never right with this <laughs> stuff at all. I'm almost positive, though, it's called Melinda Sauces and they are absolutely delicious. Okay, I was right. Oh, good. It, it is, they have a green sauce. They have a whole bottle bundle, like the triple, triple X. There's garlic. I'm salivating over here because I didn't eat dinner yet. <laughs> oh, no. A habanero pepper hot sauce. I, I, I've never had anything that good that I throw everything on. Um, and then I like mix them together and throw these things on. So if you're, if you're all, I will absolutely send these to you. Do you have one that's your ultimate favorite? Ooh, that's hard. I think the red sauce one, I think it's like a too hot, just enough, but it's uh-huh. not like Sriracha to me, Sriracha is bullshit. It's just spicy. There's no flavor to it. Right. Like mm-hmm. these actually have flavor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know. I'm I think this makes things hot. I don't, I don't like that, to be honest. I don't like heat for heat's sake. Right. Exactly. That's not fun not about it. So you have a Instagram also with your brother yeah. that is about <laughs> food. Uh-huh. I don't know anything about it. I'm learning. This is not part of my original research. So please share. Yeah. My brother and I, this is really silly, but we have an Instagram that's called Dip and Tuck. And we just post about the food that we make, the food that we eat, the snacks that we find that we enjoy. A little bit of it has become just a personal like tracker for me to remember how much I loved certain things so that I can go scroll back through it. But also I've got a handful of people in my life that I was regularly sending food pictures to. And so I just decided to post it online instead. It's also a way that I, that I can connect with local businesses sometimes. So I will go to a restaurant and then review it on my Instagram. And usually the restaurant will like reach back out to me and then I'm like forming these little connections. So it's, it's by no means a large account with any sort of following really to talk about it all, but it's been a really fun hobby and it's another place I can just geek out about food. <laughs> and I save all my lists about what restaurants I want to go to and what city and food to make and all that kind of stuff. So that's awesome. And it's yeah. a place to escape. Like you said, like it's your house. Like that's how I kind of feel about with this. Like I love my nine to five. I love the people I work with, but meeting people around the world that I would never be able to meet otherwise and learn from it's like, it's so euphoric to me. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I still love going and trying a meatball somewhere, but like having conversations 
with you and learning about you and listening to other podcasts and things like that. It's just like, I don't know. I can't put a price tag on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So what is your nine to five? I wanted to ask you that. I am a director of marketing for a cybersecurity firm. Wow. That's pretty cool. It's great. I love marketing. One day I have not done a podcast episode on like who I am and why I'm here. I just what you should. I will. I will eventually. I will. It was a. I will. I just. I have a lot more fun talking to you than I do talking about myself. Yeah, writing about myself is a nightmare. Oh my god, I'd rather not. I'd rather sit with slugs if we're if we're gonna go that far. <laughs> I'm not into it. So, but I do love talking, obviously. But it's so funny though, is because. I wanted to do radio originally and then kind of gotten talked out of it. And thankfully so, because I'm really happy with what I do in the industry. This, you know, marketing is really, really awesome. But now being able to do what I've always wanted to do as a hobby, like 10 years or, you know, 15 years later on my own of what I want to do is, is really cool. Yeah. Well, Colleen, we are coming to the end and we ask the same question for who everyone who comes on the podcast. Okay. And that is, what is one thing that you've experienced that everyone should go through? Well, goodness, I wish I would have prepared for this one. I feel like it's such a, it's such a deep question. It deserves a deep answer. Not just the first thing that pops in my head. I mean, I guess it sounds cliche because we've talked a lot about my job, but the feeling of feeling like you reached a dream. I hope that everybody on the whole planet can experience that feeling. To use your word, it's very euphoric. I haven't used that word in a while. And whether it be your career dream, your dream of owning a dog on your own, your dream of settling down and getting married, your dream of just finishing a to-do list, like whatever it is, letting yourself dream and then achieving that dream. Again, we, we feel like we keep saying we can't put a price tag on it. That's another thing you can't put a price tag on. And the feeling of excitement and validation and pride and peace, I guess, even that can come with achieving a dream. I just really hope that everybody everywhere gets a chance to experience that in whatever way, whatever to whatever scope, whether it's grand or small, there's a lot of room for dreaming and there's far too few dreamers. If listeners enjoyed listening to Colleen and want to hear more, you can also check out a Raw Safari podcast that Colleen is on, which I listen to, which is awesome. It's a podcast. that's all about the people who work in animal care and the conservation field. She has two episodes on there. And you could also check out the Cincinnati Zoo podcast and hear more about Cincinnati Zoo stories and from other staff members. You could also follow them on Instagram. Obviously, that's what I was doing. We got adorable. Please tell Rocco, the porcupine that I said hi. He yep, is I will. adorable. My God. I did want to hug him, but I feel like that'd be a horrible idea. It would be terrible. Oh my <laughs> gosh. That freaking snout though. Look at Squish's nose. Oh, he's the cutest. Oh, I don't know what to do with that energy. So I just clench my fist because he's so, because you can't touch him. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, oh. That's called cute aggression. Cute aggression. Spell, it's called cute aggression. Okay. Okay. So it's real. It's not just me. Oh, it's real. Okay. Yeah. I can't touch him. So I'm just like, oh, you're the cutest thing in the world. I don't know what to do with myself. So 
You can follow Colleen on Instagram at Zookeeper Colleen. And then she's also on TikTok at Zookeeper Colleen. Also, don't forget to follow the Cincinnati Zoo on Instagram. Uh, also, Colleen has been on Animal Planet. So go to her link tree on Instagram and go check out those awesome episodes. That is so cool. And she's also obviously on local news and she's putting birds on news anchors. And it's just so cute how happy they were, but they're trying to keep their composure. I'm like, no, let him fly. Just go have a good time. So cute. But Colleen, I am rambling because I just love your energy and your message so much. But you are a lady with lions. Welcome to the community. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story. That's so awesome. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. I love getting to talk about what I do and why I do it and why I love it. <laughs>